one of the things that we discovered and I discovered as somebody who has for a long time cared deeply about diversity, inclusion, and equity, but never described himself as a DEI person. Yeah, I mean, I think probably a couple of years ago, I didn't even know what that stood for, <laughs> but I've always been a, a diverse leader and I've always cared about that issue. And I think what we discovered through the process of writing this book is just how many people are fighting this fight for recognition, for representation, without having it be their day job. And that's important because I think a lot of times when we talk about this, we talk about it through the lens of someone who's been hired specifically for it, a chief diversity officer, somebody who's in charge of diversity. And I think that what we really tried to do in this book is take it outside of that one lens and say that this is really everybody's issue and everyone's fight in some way, whether you consider yourself a DEI person or not. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Recently, a male colleague asked me what he could do to support women at work, and I told him, start by being an ally. Simply speaking up when someone makes a derogatory comment about women, even if it seems innocent enough, is how men can begin to practice allyship. When one of his colleagues made a comment to him about the size of a female co-worker's breasts, he spoke up and said, hey, don't do that. Don't speak about it like that. It's not cool. And while this might seem like a really small action, it's an incredibly powerful way to create equality at work. By speaking up, my male colleague instantly reset the standards for how men need to speak, think, and interact with each other and other women in the office. The challenge with allyship is that it generally involves spending your privilege. It's uncomfortable. It requires speaking up, taking action, calling out inequality, even if you don't benefit from doing so. We all know about the importance of allyship at work. The consulting firm Deloitte's 2019 State of Inclusion survey found that allyship is an essential component of an inclusive culture. Allyship promotes empathy, authenticity, and courage. Allies really serve as the missing link for organizations to take the next step in truly embedding inclusion into the everyday practices and experiences of their employees. But why is it so hard to be an ally? And more importantly, what happens when we don't take action? The bystander effect is a social psychological phenomenon that refers to cases in which individuals don't offer any means of help to a victim when other people are present. As reported in Psychology Today, social psychologists Bib Latane and John Darley popularised the concept of the bystander effect following the infamous murder of Kitty Genovese in New York City in 1964. The 28-year-old woman was stabbed to death outside her apartment and at the time it was reported that dozens of neighbours failed to step in to assist or even call the police. The probability of help we know is inversely related to the number of bystanders. So the more people who are around, the less likely it is that anyone will help. Research also finds that there are three determining factors that influence whether or not somebody would intervene in a situation. The first is ambiguity, levels of sureness, which can vary from situation to situation. So that's about are you clear about what's happening? The second factor is cohesiveness. 
As group cohesiveness increases, so does the likelihood that an intervention will happen. So that's about how well do you know the people involved. And the third influencing factor is diffusion of responsibility. The more people around that witness the event, the less likely it is that they'll intervene because it's assumed that somebody else will do it. But the intervention of bystanders often acts as the crucial break on acts of bullying and discrimination. And we can help bystanders become upstanders or allies by making them aware of the problems associated with inaction. So joining us on today's episode are Rohit Bhargava and Jennifer Brown, authors of the book Beyond Diversity, and they'll share with us the difference between bystanders and upstanders and how you can take action to tackle inequality when it plays out at work. Here Rohit shares why inequality is everyone's problem to solve. One of the things that we discovered and I discovered as somebody who has for a long time cared deeply about diversity, inclusion, and equity, but never described himself as a DEI person. Yeah, I mean, I think probably a couple of years ago, I didn't even know what that stood for, <laughs> but I've always been a, a diverse leader and I've always cared about that issue. And I think what we discovered through the process of writing this book is just how many people are fighting this fight for recognition, for representation, without having it be their day job. And that's important because I think a lot of times when we talk about this, we talk about it through the lens of someone who's been hired specifically for it, a chief diversity officer, somebody who's in charge of diversity. And I think that what we really tried to do in this book is take it outside of that one lens and say that this is really everybody's issue and everyone's fight in some way, whether you consider yourself a DEI person or not. Research finds that even though most bystanders don't like to watch bullying, less than 20% actively try to stop it. And this happens because often bystanders don't know what to do or they have fear of taking action or they're concerned about retaliation or becoming the target of bullying themselves. And even though bystanders are not the aggressor, their actions or lack thereof can have really devastating effects on victims and even themselves. Often victims will feel like no one cares and bystanders have to face the negative consequences of witnessing inequality but not taking any action to stop it. The bottom line is we need allies. Bullying stops in less than 10 seconds, 57% of the time, when someone intervenes on behalf of the victim. Here Rohit shares more on the importance of bystanders. This idea of a bystander was, was such a fundamental part of my experience with this book in particular also, because I realized through the process of jumping into this world and really learning from the people already in it and learning from Jennifer, that there were many situations in business where I was already acting like a bystander and I shouldn't. I saw the diversity and equity and inclusion efforts, but I wasn't the one leading them. You know, I was usually called in to help drive innovation. I mean, that was my world, right? The world of innovation and marketing and storytelling. And when I started getting into this, I took a deep look at my own experience and I said, look, I'm going to all of these events and I'm speaking and I'm oftentimes the only speaker of color. In some cases, some disturbing cases, I was on an all-male speaking panel and I didn't pay as much attention to those things as I should have. And if I had, I would have stood up and said, hey, this isn't right. We need to make the stage more inclusive. And if I were able to take the next step, I would say, here's who should have been included. 
and I already know them and I can make the introduction to them. And that was my challenge to myself, really, to start to do that more often. And now I am much more conscious of that. And I take that role really seriously for myself to be that type of upstander, as Jennifer said, instead of the bystander. And I'm the one sitting here talking to you on this brilliant podcast about this topic. You know, I'm on the front end of, of this. And even I had those types of blind spots just, you know, a year ago. So I think that we all have this journey to make. I think most people who are probably listening to this and hopefully most of the readers of our book don't wake up in the morning thinking, who can I be biased against today? You know, who can I hold down? I think most people don't wake up like that. I think that normal people do feel threatened by you know the possibility that things are changing if things are good for them. That's not an unnatural thing, but I think that we have to go beyond that to think about like, well, what is going to make this a, a better world for everybody? What's going to make this the sort of world that we choose to live in and, and choose to work in and, and be happy in? And that's really what we wanted to try and get people to think about. If we can portray this world as being better in that way, then the real question is, well, what do I do right now to make that happen? And that's really what we tried to get across in the book. It can be really uncomfortable to call out inequality when you witness it. Often people don't want to say anything for fear they might say the wrong thing and make the problem worse. So how exactly do you go about speaking up when you witness someone doing or saying something hurtful to a co-worker? For starters, it might be helpful to have a few phrases ready to use when you witness discrimination and want to defuse the situation. This doesn't have to be anything complex. It could be as straightforward as saying, hey, don't do that. Or simply and calmly asking the relevant person to explain the situation, the joke or the statement. Or if you're in a group setting, sometimes you can take the opportunity to encourage others to speak up by saying, is everyone else hearing this? By leveraging that group cohesiveness we talked about, you're going to increase the likelihood of others moving from bystander to upstander alongside you. If you don't say anything in the moment, it isn't too late. You can reach out afterwards and let the person know their behaviour isn't okay. You can also check in with the person on the receiving end of the behaviour to make sure that they are okay. There's no hard and fast rule as to how to approach these situations and different organisations will also have different views on the responses that best align with their culture and values. The only mistake when it comes to being an upstander is not doing anything. Here Jennifer shares different ways that we can support our colleagues as upstanders at work. We love these binaries of oppressed and oppressor and you know, these days I've been really talking about so much about, first of all, intersectionality, which is the combination of perhaps marginalized or underrepresented identities that we may carry both visible and invisible. But I also, I speak about my LGBTQ identity, my cisgender female identity in the world, particularly in my environment as a leadership and diversity consultant, where I find myself sometimes the only apparent female in the room. And I say that because we don't know often the gender identity of people that are in a room with us. So my intersectionality may involve the dynamic of navigating those stigmatized identities and the impact on me in terms of how I'm heard and believed and given credibility and all those things. But I also have other parts of my identity that make my walk through the world more easy more safe and require less effort to navigate or no effort to navigate because I am part of a group of identity 
that walks through this world more safely. And so I don't love these binaries because they're not true. And we all have, I think, if we really dig deep and think about our diversity stories, our stories about exclusion, our experience of challenge on a whole host of dimensions, I think we can all kind of hook into this, the middle, which is the truth, I think, which is that we all inhabit multiple places. And each one of those pieces comes with, for my story, I need allyship. I need an upstander to come in, whether that's a straight ally, whether that is a cisgender male ally saying, you know, Jennifer, I heard that. I saw that. I want to support you. What does that look like? that I need, but I also can be that. And I go back and forth multiple times a day thinking about what do I need and where am I needed? And what can I activate in the pieces and the ingredients that make me who I am to shift our systems towards greater equity, both for myself and those parts of me that are not seen and heard and valued and stigmatized, but also given the voice that I have because of the access and the permission that I have through most often the unearned parts of who I am. So I think if we are waiting to find ourselves in one camp or the other, I'm not sure that's the energy I would recommend about it. I think the facts are that we are somewhere in the middle, in the messy middle, as we say. And also if we wait to have everything figured out and to be perfect, we will sit on the sidelines until we feel quote unquote ready. And my message is that we cannot wait to feel ready. <laughs> we can't, you know, the, the way that we enter and do this work is going to be imperfect and awkward. We will make probably more sort of missteps than we make the right steps until we become more practiced at stepping from the sidelines of the bystander into the upstander. It is an evolution. It's not something that we snap our fingers and say, we're there tomorrow. And it's also not a label we can give ourselves because we're only allies or upstanders when someone in an affected community calls us that. It's not a designation that we give to ourselves. It's something that we are given. It is something that we are deemed but we can't expect to do everything perfectly. And if we find ourselves getting stuck in the, what if this happens, or I don't want to say the wrong thing, or I don't want to do the wrong thing. Unfortunately, that keeps us squarely in the bystander space. And we need to step forward imperfectly and jump in. That is the only way that we are going to learn and develop competence and comfort and confidence in how we are going to be able to shift the world around us. Research finds that being an active bystander is the most effective way to tackle experiences of inequality at work, and it generally involves some common strategies, like making sure you speak up to interrupt the behavior rather than letting it carry on, and ensuring you support and defend the person who's on the receiving end of the discriminatory behavior, and de-escalating and calming the situation to ensure that everybody is safe while also letting the people who are engaging in the poor behavior know that there's a limit. And it might even include reporting the behavior to HR or your manager as an upstander. Here, Jennifer shares why inaction is simply no longer acceptable. The pressure on institutions, I predict, is just going to continue. And in the workplace, which is where I focus, it's coming from employees. It's coming from stakeholders. It's coming from other 
important relationships in the ecosystem around each institution. It's coming from industry voice. And there's an accountability that I've never seen in all of my nearly 20 years of working in DEI. There is the asks and the demands are coming faster and more furiously. And there's consequences to not listening very carefully and constantly to the voice, I think a new kind of kind of voice, a new source of voice around the institutions. You know, we're behind and I, I warn leaders that we have not taken adequate action leading up to when the sort of bottom fell out with the beginning of the pandemic. And hence, you know, we've really paid some very dear prices for like losing, you know, several generations of progress of women in the workplace from a representation standpoint. When millions of women left the workplace in 2020, this should not happen. You know, we should be pivoting ahead of the change. We should be deeply listening and heeding the voice of that next generation of talent, those students that are coming up in our schools. How do they see the world? How do they define belonging? How do they define an inclusive world? What what do they expect from institutions so that they feel seen, heard, valued, and that they are reflected in those institutions so that they feel comfortable enough to say, I want to stay here. I want to create here. I trust the people that I spend every day with. Those of us in my generation have to really revisit how we've defined things. We have to revisit what made us successful in another time. And we need to really retool ourselves to be ready and and prepared to absorb and run with all the innovation that's coming from these next generations of talent of of humans and this is not just advice for leaders and institutions this is advice for parents too i mean our kids are telling us things that we've never heard before they are identifying in ways that are perhaps unfamiliar to us or perhaps make us uncomfortable And they are the messengers from the future. And so we have some choices here to really reorient the way we listen to the world and where we get our information and how quickly we act and not, I think, get stuck in, well, I agree or disagree or get stuck in the discomfort, move quickly (laughs) to say, let me move forward towards this future that I don't understand quite yet. But let me, you know, stay with the discomfort and let me just sit with that and let me accelerate my evolution in that context. I know that that might trigger some people or feel scary or something to be avoided. But as somebody who lives and breathes this stuff every day, it is incredibly transformational to be transformed by the the moment we're in and by the people around us and by that next generation. It's incredible. I mean, you just feel like you're part of the fabric of the future. And so to me, the invitation to engage in that is so profound. And it's such a beautiful opportunity that's being offered to us. So if we come up against that resistance and that fear of change, like Rohit said, it's understandable. And some of us pivot better or more easily or not. (laughs) But I don't want us to lose sight of what's on the other side of this, which is getting the most out of humanity. And that is world changing. The most amazing thing about Upstanders is that anyone can choose to become one. Every single person has a role to play in creating a culture that values difference. This involves making active choices every day. We won't always get it right every day, but that shouldn't discourage us. When we call out poor behaviours, it's not only holding people accountable for the discrimination they're engaging in, 
but it's resetting norms. Being an upstander makes it clear to everyone that harassment, microaggressions and discrimination are not okay. To prevent being a passive bystander, the next time you're witnessing inequality, I encourage you to think about what you would do in this situation if you were the first or the only person to witness the problem. Generally, bystanders are much more willing to step out of the shadows and take on the role of an upstander when they are the only person witnessing inequality. So don't expect others to act. Think about being the first to act by calling out what you've witnessed in a constructive and appropriate way, by standing up and by spending your privilege in the situation. Upstanders and allies have a critical role to play in creating and nurturing workplace cultures of inclusion and belonging. Thank you so much for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.